0: Well, good morning and welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. Christianity operates on a paradigm that we, to the degree that we see Him, we are changed. And what the blood of Jesus has provided is an opportunity to interface with God on an increasingly clearer level so that we are drawing nearer and nearer to Him and we are increasingly being changed we're not changed through our effort. We're not changed through laws or rules or even the definition of what righteousness looks like. We are changed when we see Him. And so this morning as we're worshiping, I have I have this sense of this sort of prophetic picture. And I remember a prophetic word given years ago of this, uh, this these meetings that were going to take place in stadiums all over the world and just worship and sharing and different things and they're just random occasional miracles and resurrections and the guy who was seeing the repeated vision he kept saying you know you just be in the middle of worship and all of a sudden somebody would yell out oh we have another one we have another resurrection and uh, we have another uh, you know blind eyes being healed and and what happens is is there's this atmosphere that can hover over a people kind of like a mother hen hovering over a batch of eggs. You know, all those eggs aren't going to hatch all at once, but but you provide a common atmosphere. And when each are ready, they suddenly have their own personal breakthrough in their own appointed time. And what what that reflects for us is that this morning might be a time, a breakthrough for you. It might be a time... When something has been incubating in your life, where God has brought you to a certain point, and today may be the day when the shell of that thing breaks and the husk that has kept that life at bay suddenly gives way to a new birth. And so, as you press into God, as you press into that presence, as you engage with His Spirit, there is always a life giving atmosphere of His love and His mercy and His glory that can cause you to come into a new level of transformation as you see Him, as you've never seen Him before. So let's press in and worship Him with all of our hearts. You know, when we sing that song, I often hear the different voices in the room speaking. And I I heard the voice of disappointment. I heard the voices of frustration. I heard the voices of unbelief where people said, yeah, well, I was stopped. Yeah, well, I believed God and I stepped out and I did this and it didn't work and this and this and this other thing. And the fact is that uh, God can do anything, but what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to bring us with him. And what he's trying to do is get us to understand the conditions under which he will go with us. This is no different than the journey that Israel had. And at one point, God said, well, you're going to have to go up, but I can't go with you. I'm going to have to send an angel with you. I'm going to have to downgrade the presence that I'm sending with you. And it's like, you know, even, even with that, when they went in and there was uh, that one nation, uh, that one city they went to conquered, and somebody had sinned, somebody had stolen from, uh, from the previous city. And so when they went to go to war, even though God is all-powerful, they were defeated. And it's like, you know, God could have just defeated the enemy anyway, but they never would have awakened to the fact that there was something in their midst that he wasn't happy about. And so what he's, what he's doing, he's just always trying to, on the one hand, encourage us to go forward and believe, but at the same time, he's trying to filter out of us the things that can't go with us. And so He's always, on the one hand, encouraging you, and on the other hand, sifting you. And so if, if God has sifted you at some point to say, Hey, there's something in your life that I'm not going to let go forward from this point. And you may seem to be stuck at a certain point, but I'm telling you, if you keep leaning into God, if you keep actually worshiping Him, that thing that will, can't go to the next level will become disconnected from your soul, and then you will launch forward. But until, as long as that thing remains, you're stuck. But the, what, so what's the answer? Do I wait? No. You just keep pressing in. You just keep pressing in. You just keep pressing in. Because as your desire is expressed for him and him alone, something starts to shift inside of you. And then all of a sudden you find yourself crossing a threshold that for maybe for months, maybe even for years, you were stuck at. But God is saying to all of us, Come up higher, come up higher. And even when you can't, he's still saying, Come up higher, come up higher. Come up higher. So Lord, we say, Our God is greater than anything. Lord, and if there's any error, it's human error. Lord, you are perfect in all your ways, righteous and all powerful, and and your statutes are excellent and wonderful, and your laws are pure, enlightening the eyes. And you are more to be desired than gold,
1: more to be desired than silver. So we bless your name and we will pursue you. And there's three things you can do right now. And, and it's, the Holy Spirit always has a way of saying, I'm preparing you for the next level, the next going forward. And as Mark shared, he says, it's time to, 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 to go forward, a sifting. And now there's three things we can do. You can be like Paul, you know, when the snake bit him. There's three things you can do. You can just go into the fire, look at the snake and your circumstances, but he just went over and he shook it into the fire. Shake and bake snake. Or you can look at it and you can freak out and you can say, woe is me, look, I need help, poor me, this isn't fair. Or you can do nothing and just stay in that situation. And slowly die. But today, right now, is the moment to say, No, it's time to shake it off into the fire of the Holy Ghost and just carry on. And and it became what was what was supposed to be a, a death for Paul actually became a, a kingdom building experience because that was a victory showing the power of God. That is our moment right now.
0: Lord, we pray today that we would come to the place where we can lay everything down. And Lord, even when we think we have, only you know. Only you know. But you are taking us to that place. So we bless you for the journey and for the destination. In Jesus' name. You know, there was a moment when Jesus was talking about eternal reward and what would be given to those who effectively lay their lives down. And then Peter steps up and he says, well, what are we going to get seeing as we have left everything? You know, I'm sure Peter believed that. <laughs> but that was before he betrayed Jesus. I'm sure he believed that when push comes to shove, he was all in. But what he didn't know was he wasn't yet all in. He didn't know that. He thought he was because he doesn't really know his heart. He doesn't know what all in looks like. And so there are many times in our lives where we measure the response of heaven based on what we think we've given, but we need to leave room that maybe there's something we don't know maybe we overestimate what we've laid down. Maybe we'll let God be the judge of that. That too is part of laying our crowns down. So Lord, you are bringing us to the place where we say, have it all. And we gladly sing songs like, you will not relent until you have it all. Of course, we're usually looking at the nations or other people. But, Lord, we want to say, have all of us. Whatever that may mean, Lord, we give you permission today to bring us to that place where you have all of us because you deserve all. Amen. You know, the the beautiful thing about this faith thing is it's progressive. And I always go back to that proverb that says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And even when you think it's as bright as it could ever be, it can still get brighter. And so again, we we say, Lord, we want to stay with the journey. Amen? We're going to show a little video here. This is. If you haven't realized that I write articles and I do these little video things, and this one is called a Watchman Minute. It's literally 60 seconds. Occasionally they're a little short of 60 seconds. We're going to play this because uh, this last week I got um, uh, an email from somebody about this asking a question and I realized that it was a very pertinent question. And I thought, you know what? Maybe there are others who would like to hear the answer to that. So I've shared on this theme before. I'm going to go over and what it is, but we're going to watch this, and then I'll I'll give you the answer that I gave that person. Go ahead. People said a lot of money is the of all people. What do they mean? Most people I know think I don't have a lot of money. What is a lot of money? Well, it's the desire for money. It's a very easy to mess. But this is so easy to mess because the other side of this kind of desire, which is fear. When I was a young man, I fell in love with somebody. I called it love, it was just desire. I feared losing them. They gave me so much pleasure I wanted to have them, and there was a torment around the thought of losing them. This is the kind of love of money Jesus was talking about. It's a desire to have something, to possess it, to have control over it. And it's often characterized by the fear of losing it. So, do you have a love of money? Do you have the fear of not having enough? That is a of money. All right. Now, that's a pretty sobering thought. I, I, I bet, you know... <laughs> I remember thinking for a long time, I don't have the love of money because you know, I never, I've never kissed money, right? You know, I've, I, I've never, you know, uh, had all the affections I would associate with love for money, and of course, so it's a very nebulous sort of statement, the love of money. It's sort of meaningless in that sense, and that's. Uh, but it's one of those things where. Uh, and I remember at the time, I was talking to a lady, and she was she was saying, you know, the Lord told me, she said, that I had the love of money. And I thought, oh, that, that's very cool. She said, yeah, he told me, and I denied it, and then he said, the, f- the love of money is the fear of not having enough. And all of a sudden, I, I just knew it was true. I didn't know why at the moment, but I knew it was true. And so I began to seek the Lord over a period of time, and the Lord began to show me the nature. Of that uh, of human love, and human love is not by nature giving. Human love by nature is is possessive. You know, we want to possess, we want to have, we want to own what it is we love. And yet, God's love is is uh, characterized by its ability to do for others. Uh, God's love for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so, so there's a there's an ability to to release and and so the the fear of losing something there's a torment in that and that in itself we're going to talk about this in a minute that in itself should tell us there's something with that wrong with that kind of love and so I want to just say this out there I'm not going to make a case and I'm not going to hear to tell you you have the love of money or, or you don't and this is the reason why just deal with it with God but I'm telling you this any kind of fear in our lives is a sign right hello, I mean, fear in your life is like that putrid smell of something rotting in your fridge when you open the door. You don't have to see it to know it's there, right? when you open that fridge door and you can ew, you, know, you know you know I'm sure everything's fresh, obviously not, right? Something is rotting in there something uh some what something stinketh in denmark or or is it Holland right. anyway. So fear, fear is one of the evidences that God uses in our life to tell us that there's something he wants to filter out of our lives. And so whatever the places where we fear, we need to pay attention because that, that, that suggests there's something God's after. And not because God is punitive, but God is saying, listen, I want to set you free because <laughs> fear leads to bondage. There's always bondage associated with fear. Fear is a limiter. Right? It keeps you, well, I fear flying, I fear dark places, I fear open places, I fear sickness, I fear, whatever you fear, you, it keeps you in bondage, right? And so we want to we be getting rid of all the fear because fear is synonymous with bondage and what's the opposite? Love. Love is the opposite, right? It says perfect love casts out all fear. And so if we have fear in our lives, that means somewhere along the the, the, the the way we have a deficit of love. Love. Well, you even think, well, what about courage? Yeah, love is a source of courage, right? Do you, Women, do you love your kids, right? Will you suddenly confront a bear if your kid was in danger, right? Yeah, because love is a catalyst for all kinds of great things. So anyway, Father, I pray today that, uh, oh, you are the great surgeon, and we we invite you to come and do the kinds of surgery that you're longing to do in our hearts, Lord, and uh, we love the way that you are taking us on this journey, and you are shifting from our lives those things that steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, it is your uttermost desire that we would experience life, that we would experience the abundance of life, it is your stated desire that that would happen in our lives. And so you are busy by your Holy Spirit actively seeking and destroying those things that steal from us, the peace, the tranquility, the success, the victory that you've called us to live in. So, Lord, we say right now, if we have... The fear of not having enough money, if that somehow, if there's an anxiety, if there is a torment in our life, if there's an inability to do things that you would otherwise be calling us to do because we have this fear, we want to be free from it. Can we say amen? amen. All right. So, I, uh, last week I got a uh, text or, you know, it doesn't matter what kind it was, it's from Facebook, whatever you call that message and uh this fellow who had heard me i didn't even know i shared this but i'd shared this apparently recently in the netherlands and so he was asking me he said listen he said i this is a big problem for me he said my whole life is filled with constant anxiety about the future uh, fear about how am i going to da 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 and so he's he has this inability he was saying to to, you know to To walk in the future to touch the future, and so and i 'm sure many of us identify about the, uh, around these kinds of issues. I remember years ago when I had that, and I had the additional handicap of not having an income, which was you know seriously vexing but uh, you know, the Lord had called me to to live by faith and I was doing ministry and writing articles and traveling and speaking to churches but but you didn't, have a, you didn't have a guaranteed income ever. And so, you know, it was like, ah, you know, I was constantly... And I remember one time, you know, and I, if you'd asked me, oh, no, I don't have the fear, fear of not having enough. I don't, I don't have the love of money. And yet I lived in constant anxiety around how are we going to pay the next group of bills? How are we going to get by? And I remember recently sharing this with some people. You know, I wished at that time... Because what that fear does, it gives you a sense of impending annihilation, right? <laughs> you think, I'm not going to make it. I, I'm, you know, I'm this, you know, that's, that's the torment of it. I, I am, you know, I'm I'm going to be, something's going to happen. You know, I'm going to die or something. And I remember part of the victory was when God started to confront the irrationality of the fears. You know, A, you're in Canada, you're not going to die of hunger, right? Okay? You can live at Costco, right? For three bucks a day, you can have a hot dog and a coke twice. All right, you're not gonna die of hunger in Canada. Get over yourself. <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, okay, all right, that's an unreasonable fear. Uh, but you know, well, there's kids, and I've got five kids, and you know, I don't own a house, and 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 and. And I remember, I remember at this time when the Lord confronted that. He, he did it in so many ways. But he, uh, he showed me my life, and he said, what do you not have that others have? Well, I thought, well, I'm sure there's something there. But I was living at the time in an upper-middle-class home in Surrey, B.C. My kids were going to private Christian school. We, I always had clothes. You know, as you know, I, I, I haven't gone without clothes ever. Now, there may have been times when we had to have peanut butter sandwiches, but we had peanut butter sandwiches. And I remember the Lord saying, to what, what do others have that you don't have? And I, you know, in terms of lifestyle. And I thought, wow, you know, I've got a three-year-old vehicle that had given to me. And I thought, I thought the only thing I don't have is a steady income. But actually, I've never missed a visa bill. I've never missed paying my rent. I've, I've never not eaten. You know, I was overweight, so I was like, you know, obviously, we're doing all right. Uh, and, so, and so I, I, thought, I thought, yeah, I, I'm not really missing anything. So what is this underlying anxiety and angst about the future? What is this torment... That constantly, Mark, is hovering over your life. It's because I don't know. I'm, I don't have enough for the future. What did Jesus say? He said, sufficient for the day are the cares thereof. Mm-hmm. And basically what the Lord was, was saying to me is, this is an illegitimate thing in your life that I want to deal with. Now, this is not the first time he did this. He did this on a number of occasions. And I was getting better. Okay, I was getting better. But there are levels of faith, right? And increasing levels of faith, uh, increasing levels of transformation, increasing levels of God confronting the torments of fear in my life meant less and less of torment and more and more of faith and more and more of God. And it released me increasingly. But along the way, not only did God have to confront that on, on a regular basis... But he demanded at different times certain kinds of obedience. Oh, that's a scary word. What? Are you saying God might ask me to do something? Indeed. God might ask you to do something. Now, in case you're wondering, is this like a second offering? Are we moving are we going towards a missions offering or something? Not necessarily. But hey. Whatever the Lord tells you to do. But let me read a, let me read a scripture here. Scripture, scripture, scripture. Actually, I've got to go to it. It's Genesis 4. And, and uh, this, this thing here, and I, I love this verse. The Lord whispered it to me when I was here. And um, it has to do with Cain and Abel. And you, you remember what happened with Cain and Abel. Well, we all know what happened. Cain killed his brother. But the Lord warned him in advance. And this is what He said, So the Lord, in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Genesis. Verse 6, chapter 4 of Genesis. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now the circumstance, of course, as you remember, is... is, uh, uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by the Lord, and Cain's sacrifice was not, right? So Cain's, you know, in a self-pity fit, and he's like, yeah, you're you're always favoring others more than me. He's like, yeah, so line up. You know, if you know what I want, then whatever that thing is that doesn't want to do what I want, get it in line, and then you'll have the same kind of favor. Yeah, oh, this is not fair. You. Why do you hate me so much? You know, what's wrong with you? I, like, I, I gave you a gift, yeah, but it wasn't what I asked for. So God is actually confronting this thing within Cain that's misaligned. I want to do what I want to do, and you should be just happy that I gave you anything. Honestly, that's, that's the heart of it, right? You get a lot, a lot of that in church, you know? People come to church, and the pastor says, Let's lift your hands. <laughs> yeah, you're even glad. You should be glad I'm here. I could be watching football. Fine then. Go watch football. You know, anything God asks of you is not only for Him, it's for you. All right? God's intent and the nature of His love is He's always trying to set you free. Always. Always trying to set you free. So we need to resolve that in our minds that any hardship, any discipline, any chastening, anything that God is doing in our life is to set us free so that we can enjoy what he's given. Right? You know, I, you, you have kids, right? Don't touch the hot burner, but I really want to. <laughs> Trust me, it's for your own good. Right? My son, tell him, don't put anything in electrical sockets. Well, he got this, you know, electronics kit. So he thought, surely these belong in the sockets. (laughs) These rules are not arbitrary punishments. They're guidelines to get you aligned with me so that things can go well with you. Right? So anyway, so Cain's got this thing going on, and uh, and he's in self-pity. He's moping around. His countenance has fallen, right? you like, hmm. In verse 7, God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, here's the, here's the thing. Sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. You should rule over it. And so... This applies to pretty much everything that's compulsive in our lives, everything that leads to bondage. God is saying to you, you need to rule over this. You need to rule over jealousy. You need to rule over anger. You need to rule over lust. You need to rule over covetousness. You need to rule over envy because these things are not your friends. These things are not your companions. They they, they, may, they may promise you that, oh, uh, I'm with you, and, you know, if you had me, then you, you, your life would really be complete, but it, it wouldn't if you rule over these. So so Cain is, is in this place, and God is giving him the antidote. Listen, what you need to do is you need to, to come up over top of that. Now, that's strangely enough, that's sort of the answer I had for our friend with the issue of... Uh, of, uh, of the love of money. Uh, and I was saying to him, listen, this, this is what you need to do. Is, I mean, you've done a great job. The first step is, is one of the hardest, recognizing you have a problem. Right? I, I'm acknowledging that this is an issue. Most Christians I know spend 95% of the, you know, when, it, when God is dealing with something, 95% of the dealing is try, God trying to get you to admit that you have the problem. I just saw this thing about this comedian, and he's talking about trying to win arguments with his wife. And he said, he said, he said I, I can't win an argument with her because she just changes the language and, and denies that, that she's doing the thing that's responsible that, that, you know, for what I'm talking about. So he said, here, I'll give you an example. He said, I, I was, uh, I, we were about to watch a Netflix movie, and I said to her, I said, you know, well, let's, let's get started. She said, just wait a minute. I just have to use the bathroom. So I'm, I'm waiting there, and I'm waiting five minutes. I'm waiting 10 minutes. I'm waiting 15 minutes. and you know, Even for her, he's thinking, this is, lo- this is long. Anyway, half an hour. He's sitting there looking at a black screen and thought, where is my wife? So he goes to find her, and he, and, and he goes into their bedroom, and she's in the shower. And he says, what are you doing having a shower? I'm not showering. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm just rinsing off. And that's kind of what we do. He said to her, you know, no, if you were rinsing off, you'd be in a colander under the kitchen tap, you know. <laughs> you are showering. This, there's water, you're naked, you're in the shower. This is showering. But no, no, it isn't. It's only rinsing. Therefore, I am not guilty of the thing. So this is the kind of politics we play with God, right? You know, this is the kind of reasoning that we we sort of twist things, right? <laughs> My, uh, one of my children was a master at this. You know, it was like, did you hit your brother? No, he <laughs> ran into my fist. <laughs> you know. Okay, 95% of the journey is God getting you to the place where you can admit, I am guilty of that thing. And so the journey, why it takes so long is not the deliverance part. The deliverance part is easier. It is how culpable are you and are you able to take on and absorb the responsibility for your condition? That's what takes all the time. And um, so this fellow had had made that first step. I mean, he was glaring in his life. And so I'm just going to pray right now. Father, I pray, oh God, you want to You want to deliver us. You want to free us from the fear of not having enough money or the torment of having to serve that fear all of our lives, of having to posture ourselves and rationalize and scrimp and save and and, uh, whatever the things we do, uh, Lord, that keep us in bondage, that keep us from being able to do the things you're calling us to do. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would awaken to the fact that there is fear. And if there is fear, that we would awaken to the fact that you have called us to liberty and that you have the means to set us free. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, do that. Can you say amen? Amen. This is a significant thing for us. And, uh, I mean, it ties into a whole bunch of other things because the love of money, I mean, is juxtapositioned against worshiping or serving God at all, right? You can't serve God and mammon. So there's something about money that is central to your discipleship process. There's something about... That's why the, the giving and receiving of money and the issues around money. He said, where your, where your money is, there your heart is also, right? He said, oh, brother, I love your ministry. Yeah, well, I'm not sure you do. Why? Well, I never said this to anybody, by the way, but I just have thought it. So I love your ministry, and I asked Bookkeeper, is that guy ever given before? No? Well, <laughs> where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Oh, I love God, but yeah, I don't tithe. No, that's just legalism. That's just bondage. No, no i tell you what's bondage is the belief that you live out of a finite pot. The belief that, that finances are limited. God creates wealth out of nothing. And, he, and that's what he said to Israel. He said, listen, it's, I give you the power to create wealth. That wealth generation is a reality. Even economists know that, okay? Wealth generation is not, it's not a static thing. It, it is generated. It is created through ideas and efficiencies and invention and, and effort. It is created out of nothing, okay? And so, God is trying to say, listen, I want to bring you into the world of creating things out of nothing. Not only because I know you you need money, and this is a part of it, but because that's a part of my nature, right? God is the God who calls those things which are not as though they are. And we've got to get rid of, and especially in this day, the idea that the key to our wealth is somebody else having less, you know, is a bondage in itself. You know, the, war, the the idea of wealth, that there's only so much to go around, is a fallacy. Right. Yeah. It is a complete fallacy. So anyway, yeah, I don't want to go into that too much. We'll let Jim teach on that. So how do I rule over this torment? Well, I said to the guy, first of all, there's just the regular stuff, right? You need to be in the Word, okay? I mean, that shouldn't have to be said, <laughs> you know. Let me say it. You need to be in the Word of God. You know, uh, David says, how can a man cleanse this way? Right? And what does he talk about? He talks about by taking heed to your word. Why? Because the Word of God is the essence of another reality. It's not just, it's not just a bunch of words on a page. It is an introduction. It is a doorway to an infinite world in which God lives. God does not live in a finite world. God lives in an infinite world. And some of the the imageries around the kingdom of God express that reality, right? You know, when when, uh, Jesus fed the people with the loaves and fishes, he started with a little bit, and he fed thousands, and he ended up with more than he started with, all right? That's a picture. It's kind of like the river that comes out of the, the eastern gate that Ezekiel saw. It starts as a little river, but as it goes further... Unlike other rivers, it gets deeper and wider. There, there starts to be more volume in that river of God. And that's the way God works. He said, listen, what I want to do for you is to get you connected with an unlimited source and, and, that's, and faith allows you to connect with the unlimited source so that, so that you never run out. The cruise of oil will never run dry. That's God's plan for you. He said, well, yeah, but I... If I give away this, this little oil that I have, then I don't have any left. Right? Remember the miracle with the, was it Elijah or Elisha? Elijah and the cruise Elisha and the cruise of oil? They're in a famine, right? They're in a famine. They're in a famine. Yeah, you know, he comes to the, the woman with the, the one child and said, What are you doing? And said, Well, I'm gonna make this last cake and then we're gonna die. <laughs> and what does the prophet say? Yeah, well, here, here, have mine, too. What does he say? He said, yeah, give that to me. Make, a pan- make one for me, and then you have what's, le- what's left. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> I just told you we we're going to die. He said, well, if you're going to die anyway. <laughs> right, I'm going to live. So you give me the re- Anyway. But what, what is he doing? What is he doing? He said, Listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have an unlimited supply. I want to give you an opportunity here. Because if you do this, a miracle is going to happen. That act of obedience and faith is going to release a supply so that cruise of oil will never run dry now you may you may be thinking oh i 've never had any of that happen. I had it happen once to me. I had a, sh- a bottle of shampoo in Bible college that was like it was like about this much left. so I went to the store and I hardly had anybody. I spent the two and a half dollars to get another bottle and I put it there next to the first one, and that first one lasted me for a month and a half after that, and I shampooed my hair every day and I kept expecting it to run out, and it didn 't run out and so you know, God was just trying to show you, listen, I can do this. I can do anything. The issue is not what I can do. The issue is what will you do? Can you believe? Can you tap in to that supply? Are you willing to be taught how to tap into that supply? So, you know, next time somebody takes an offering, you think, yeah, I don't get to go to Europe four times a quarter. When the prophet asked the woman to give her, make a, a bread or cake or whatever it was for, for him, it wasn't out of selfish ambition on his part. It was giving her an opportunity. Now, I learned that as a part of my journey because, well, let me read a scripture, and then I'll, I'll go into that little testimony. In, uh, I didn't write down, it's Matthew 5, I think, but this is what it says. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth.'" But I tell you uh, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now... Let me just say that this is not a system of government Jesus was setting up. This was the means to be free. All right? You know, a lot of people look at this and they try and interpret some of these things from a political socio-economic standpoint, you know that and oh okay, here's what we have to do. You know, anybody who shows up at our door, you know, wants my car, I have to give it to him, you know or you know whatever. That's not what he was saying. What he's saying is listen. And let me break it down. When somebody slaps you on the cheek, what happens? it hurts yeah i don't know about you but when i get when i feel pain i get angry anybody like that yeah i, I just get angry i get really angry you know depending on how hard you slap me but uh, and the impo- the anger that rises up or the response that rises up out of me wants to do back in like kind okay that's the key is that there's a compelling force that's pushing you in a direction and what jesus is saying uh, rule over it. Master that. That, that compulsion here, uh, A, it's wrong, but realize that your victory over it is not by hitting him back, by, by not hitting him back, by turning, you not only not hitting him back, but ma- by making yourself vulnerable to them again. Uh, this goes so many places, let me tell you. People ask me all the time, how do you, how do you be in relationship with people and not be hurt? You know, how do you, how do you live in the church? How do you walk with people who are imperfect and, and, and un, not dependable and sometimes outright nasty and hurtful and vindictive and ugly? How can you do that and still love people? Like, like I've been in the church, you know, four or five years, and I, I don't want to ever go to a church again. How do you do that? You know how you do it? You rule over those things that come up out of you that are not in sync with who God is. That's where your victory is. When somebody, see, and I know we've taught, talked about this in the past, but when somebody says, you made me mad, I tell them, no. Nobody can make you mad, but they can reveal your madness. What, the things that people do to you cannot put inside of you ungodliness. Jesus said that very clearly. He said, he said ungodliness comes from the heart of man. It doesn't come from food you put in. It doesn't come from anything that goes in. It comes out. And what, we're, what the kingdom of God is about is changing what's coming out of you by identifying it and by weaning it out of your life. So he's saying, listen, this impulse to hate, this impulse to exclude, this impulse to, to be proud, this impulse to control, this impulse to be jealous, to, to envy, to, to un- of unforgiveness, all those things, they're coming from inside of you. Yeah, well, they deserve it as well. That's beside the point. Right? Jesus is on the cross. He said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't say say, Well, unless they repent, I'm not forgiving them. You know, they... They haven't really repented yet. Look at them. They're dividing my clothes. I'm not forgiving. Well, he didn't, it had, it was a one-way street. He's, he knew that I'm, I want to release the resurrection life of the Father here. And the way I do it is by shutting off every valve that isn't that. So the question is, what valves prop up in your life that are not that? That are not generous, that are not gracious, that are not merciful, that are not loving, that are not forgiving. Any of those impulses do not, they are not attributes that belong to the other people in the equation of these relationships. You know, your wife or children or anybody. All right? What God has done, especially in marriage, is He's perfectly suited you to the exact person that is able to exact from you what is really inside you. They are perfectly honed to push your, push your buttons. Why? Well, what's the value of that? Because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they act in a certain way to bring out of you who you really are so that you can see who you really are and rule over it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the redemptive process. Well, what about the church? The same thing. Right? So when when the Lord... Was dealing, and and again, this took, it's taken years, and I'm still at a whole other threshold in my life. In fact, I believe that this not only applies to me, it applies to our church. I believe God is calling us into a new season of of extravagant giving toward missions. I believe that's where we're going. I believe, I mean, I I get dozens and dozens of requests per week uh, in India, Pakistan, Central America, for money, for supplies, for things. I mean, it's endless. And, uh, and there's no way we, I could meet the needs, certainly with the supply that we have right now. But I believe God is leading us as a church, and He's leading us the same way He led me. So when I was at this particular place where the Lord was showing me that there was this fear in my life, this fear, this torment about not having enough money, the Lord uh, the told me, uh, A, you need to stop trying to increase your ministry. I mean, I was, I was calling people, trying to get meetings, trying to make things happen, but it was all out of unbelief. He, Lord said, you know, it's not that that's wrong, but he said to me, you're doing that only because you can't trust me. He isolated that in me. And I was just imitating what others were doing, and it was working for them, but God said, yeah, it's not working for you because I don't want to reward unbelief. And when he showed me the fear, I, and I remember that I was so stunned because I was trying as much as I could to look like a person of faith. Anybody ever do that? Right? I'm trying to line up. I'm trying to say, the, oh, yeah, well, we don't, we don't have an income. God's going to take care of us. Like the Lord's like, you don't really believe that. You keep saying it. Anyway, when he showed it to me, in fact, actually, I remember the meeting. There was a guy named Eddie Trout. South African prophet. And Wendy and I were in the meeting. We had uh, Jennifer was born at the time. And he's speaking. And right in the middle of his speaking, he starts talking about money. He said, you know, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes we don't even take offerings because offerings aren't our source. God is our source. And I, I usually would say, hey, amen, because I was usually trying to convince myself I did believe. And at that moment, I just, boom, I just saw my heart. And I thought, I don't believe at all. Like I, I believe a little, t- tiny little bit, but hardly at all. My 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 life is driven with fear and anxiety, and I I I was stunned by that. And I went back and I'm seeking the Lord, and the Lord said, "All right, first step, acknowledge the truth. The next step, obedience. You need to give away some money." I said, "Well, Lord, I I hardly have any. Well, you have those investments that you're." You, you were given. It's a lot of money, <laughs> and somebody said years ago, and I'm not saying give away your investments. I'm not saying that any. Of, I'm not saying any of that. I would not say that, because the obedience that God called me to was rare and unique. And it was to fix a problem with me within me. It's not an equation for anybody because I don't want people to go away from here and just randomly give away money thinking that's going to fix an issue and that's going to twist God's arm to do with for you what you think he's going to do. That's not how this works. But God said this specifically to me. Give that money away. So Wendy and I prayed and we gave some money away. And uh, within a month, a businessman came along and began donating uh, an amount per month that was five times the greatest gift we'd ever gotten on a regular basis. And um, anyway, it opened up a channel because the closure, the problem, the issue is not your relationships, not how connected you are, not how visible your ministry is, and not whether you're, you're, you're a woman or a man or, or white or black or in the right community or in the right... That none of those things, those are all super superfluous to this equation. The issue is... Your heart. The lock jam is always in your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So it's like Mark. You can say all you want. Oh, I believe God. I trust God. I'm doing this, and I'm you know for God. He said, but but the condition of your heart is that you keep having anxiety and fear all the time. That's who you really are. Admit it. The truth will set you free. And then now, do this. And so, obviously, there's, there's a key here. I mean, we're, we're told that. Where our, treasure is, uh, where, our hearts, where our treasure is, there's our heart also. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, this is what it says. It says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's Luke 6. I'm still on this journey. I'm still walking through this because I believe that there are things... You know, I watch, I watch Kim and Lynn, and I, Kim and Lynn are an amazing couple of faith. I mean, the way that God has used them in the nations, the way they have given themselves to th- things. Not everybody's called to the same, same things, but they're an inspiration to me. Um, and I'm not called to start orphanages, so I don't feel like, you know, oh, that's the answer, start orphanages. People love giving to orphanages. <laughs> that's not the key. The key is obedience in the context of your life. Now, I will say this. If you can't tithe right now, I question whether you're even saved. <sighs> Where your treasure is, your heart is also. One of the first things that happens when people genuinely get, get saved in their hearts, something changes in their attitude about finances. And if you haven't let that go, that's a long jam. I can, t- I can tell you, and I, I, don't, you know, I don't care if anybody gets mad at me. This is the reality, and I'm not here to make people feel good. I'm here to set people free. And there is a freedom when you confront your fears, when you confront your anxieties. There's a freedom. There's a liberty you come into. So I'm just giving you a prescription. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Well, you know, I gave that once, and nothing came back. Yeah, well, there's, there it is. I was just testing the waters. Yeah. See if God is worthy. <laughs> Can I trust Him? You know, do we even need to explain how bad that is? Right? Is this Is this hard on you? Is this hard on anybody? Where our heart is, our treasure is. Well... You know, I could give to orphans, but I'm not giving to the church because they just spend it on things. We got all these justifications, and I know I feel a little bit of discomfort around this, but there's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. There is there is a supply. I mean, not only a supply, but there's a freedom from fear. I, I remember thinking, man, if... When I was in the middle of that thing and I had those five little kids and we, we were we were paying an exorbitant amount. Back then it was like fifteen hundred dollars a month when I could get a place for three fifty here, you know, in Edmonton. We were in Vancouver, I was paying fourteen fifty a month. And I was like it was like oh, I don't know where I'm gonna come up with this every month. If only I thought today I, I was thinking, if only I could have taken myself for just a second to this day. And just say, the very fact that you're alive and your kids are grown up means you make it. Right? If you could just see yourself in the future, it means you make it. So all that threat, all that fear, all that thing hanging over your life that dominates so much of your thing. Wow, should I do this? Should I buy that person lunch? Should I give an extra five bucks on the offering? Should I, you know, make a donation? Should I go on a missions trip? Should Should I do... How can we even obey God when everything that we do is dictated by anxiety and fear? That's what freedom does. Freedom takes away any other pressure so that you're... Let me see. What's the right word? Free. (laughs) Hallelujah. How much could God do? Ben, you got a testimony?
2: I'm burning inside at how true this is and financially I'll just say growing up uh, my family was dirt poor and I came from ten children, eight children, two parents, ten people and my my understanding of financing was my dad getting out of the van going, God why do you make me so poor and I figured that's how money worked. (laughs) Like, really, I figured if you just, you know, it's kind of up to God, and he just either goes, you're rich and you're poor, and it was really messed up, and uh, I don't need to get into everything else, but this, God challenged me this year with giving, and it was this really crazy scenario where I could have gray areaed it so bad, and what I mean by gray area is it, it really was muddy, and, and, and. My decision, even if I made, if I chose to not give, could have easily just flushed away. No problem. You know what? It's understandable. You didn't have to. It's, and, so, and so the scenario is this. Um, God told me to get into real estate, and I was in it for two years, and there was all this promise and all this hope that he had spoken to me about it, and guess what? It totally wasn't happening. It looked really bad. We had sold one giant million-dollar house, and it was so cool. And then for five months, I sold nothing, and it was brutal, and I was definitely at the end of myself, because here's all this promise and all this stuff, and me and Jen are sitting in the kitchen going, are we going to lose our house? This is so not working, and after 10 years of having nothing, and it looked like there was a bit of a breakthrough, we have what looks like even more than nothing. (laughs) Woo! Woo! you know and i remember i remember you know and for me for 10 years it was um it was well you know god's good and we got this but at this point i was just too broken and i see my wife crying yet again because we have nothing and i remember getting in my car and screaming at god and just going so what but like it was really mad and it was really angry but like i'm here and nothing's happening god you put me here and and it looks worse than it ever has and i like i lost it to the lord and um, God put in real estate a mentor above me, and his name's Harold Vassell, if he once was a part of this house decades ago. And God made it that I gave to Harold on every transaction, which was hard for me, but a great exercise in giving. Now, this is, this is where I want to get into it. In real estate, if, if you work with someone else's client, the paradigm is you give half. That's what you do. Right, it's like, hey, this guy called. You worked with him. I wasn't available. You shut the deal down. I get half. It's very clear. Now, here's the scenario that worked out, and I, I'll get there, Mark. I'm so sorry. And so, I showed a house to one of Harold's clients a year previous to this breakdown moment, and um, that client brought a friend with him. The friend did not know Harold. The friend had no connection to Harold. And we did the little transaction. Nothing much came of it. A year later, we're destitute. I get a call, a miraculous phone call. Hey, Ben, I don't know if you remember me from a year ago, but I, I want to buy a house with you. And I'm like, whoa, God, you're so faithful. This is amazing. And we sold the house. And we, you know, 7,000 bucks was coming. And for us, that was like just keeping your head above water. That was just going to let us go. And then come back down. That's it. That seven grand was not big enough to do anything for us. And I remember the Lord. So this is, this is the moment. This is the giving moment. Okay. And we can, guys, and I say this every time I grab the mic. We can pray to God and we can sing and we can cry out, which I encourage us to do. But then there's always a real life manifest on the earth action that actually proves where your treasure, your heart is. Right? So as Mark's saying this, I'm like, ah! Oh! i got to tell this because, God, it's so true. So your words, I'm sorry to say, but your words just aren't enough. Your your dedication and your intention to God of your everything, God, and blah, blah, blah. He's like, good, I love that. Ready? Now. Okay? That's just how it works. And that's how it'll always work. That's just, I call it ahamming it. Okay? It's Abraham. You take Isaac, you put him on there at the last second. No. I just wanted to know. You aham it. Okay? That's my new term, and I love it. So... So here's the thing. We've got nothing. We don't have investments. We don't have anything. And we owe so much money immediately th- everywhere. And, um, and it's not like I wasn't working. I was trying to work. Anyways, that's me feeling guilty. I make the sale. There's seven grand coming. And I hear the Lord go, I want you to give half of that to Harold. And I'm like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. You know, and like I said, that seven thousand bucks was just a breath. That's all it was. So you want you want me to cut that in half to thirty five hundred? That doesn't even make sense. And moreover, the guy has more than enough money. He does not need thirty five hundred. Even if if I were to approach him and explain to him where we're at, and that God told it, he'd be like, "No, keep it." Right? He'd feel it for me. But there's all these ways that you could I could make that extra thirty five hundred come to us, but I heard the Lord go, I want you to give it, and, and he goes, at the end of the day, if you weren't with him a year ago with that other client, and that friend didn't show up, would this scenario have ever happened, and the answer is no, and so he goes, I want you to honor that that agreement, that relationship with that man, and things can actually come down and be very, very simple at the end of the day, as much as we want to make it dark God's like, let me make it, if we're willing to hear it, let me make it simple for you. Now, remember my paradigm of financing and money and, and how I think it works, right? Like, God's wanting to break me out of this. So, I wouldn't say I wrestled, but definitely for about a week. And I don't think, I, I don't even know if I said anything to you yet, but I just sat on it. And I knew what the right thing to do was, but man, we really needed that, <laughs> Right? He's like, how do you let that go? And he doesn't need it. And finally, um, about a week later, I remember exactly where I was. God just set it on my heart. And I was in the car, and uh, I was right by Living Waters and Spruce, and the, the light had turned red. And I called Jenna and I said, I hear the Lord saying that he wants us to give that half to Harold. And Jenna immediately in her spirit, yes, totally. And, and then I prophesied over us. And I said, I hear the Lord saying, and I think this is a word for everybody in this house, right? This was for me in that moment, but this is for anyone here. And, and I'm proof that God will do it. I said, I hear the Lord saying that if you can obey me and if you can give this, I will open the floodgates over your life and fulfill every promise that you've heard me speak over this next season of your life. And I'm saying that to her on the phone, and I was so sure of it. But you know what, guys? How sure are we of it? Put your money where your mouth is. How sure are you actually? Do that.
0: Amen. That's a... You know, God had him in that equation. It wasn't about how much money that guy needed. It wasn't about whether, well, according to the deal, this really doesn't apply. I don't technically owe him that money. It was the Lord saying, where's your source? Where's your source? Now, I know I said, you know, if you're not tithing, I question your salvation. I'll take that back. <laughs> but the issue of money is pivotal, is central. The torment around not having enough, and the love of money is, is core to our journey. And yes, it is a progressive work that God is doing in our lives, freeing us from that fear. I'm just going to share this one scripture. Hebrews two fourteen and 15 says this, "...inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of, the de- of death, that is, the devil." and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear of death is the ultimate fear. Underneath that master are many other fears, but they all work on the same paradigm. The fear of death brings you into bondage. It subverts your will and, and chains you into something. And a part of what God is doing by His Holy Spirit is just helping us discover all the different ways we suffer from fear. So, it's not a condemnation. Oh, I have this fear, I have this fear. We all have fears. It's the question of how badly do you want to be free? Um, that's the only real issue. And you know, you know in your heart, as the Holy Spirit puts His finger on the different fears of your life. He's hinting about what it is he wants you to give. We sang that song, you know, we cast our crowns down. I will seek no earthly title. I won't you know, I'm I'm you're the God of promotion. I'm following you, I'm laying everything down, you know, knowing that you are the one who gives. But you know what? Fear doesn't let us do that. We can't lay things down. We can't let things go. So we hold unforgiveness, and we're bitter, and we're jealous, and we're possessive, and we're cheap, and we're ungrateful. Those things aren't just symptoms of bondage. They are the things that are keeping us in bondage. And God is saying, come on, come up higher. Come up higher. I've got so much for you. He was saying to Ben, Ben, you think this is a lot. You think, I know this is so hard, and you think it's a big deal, but if you do this... A chain of things will be unlocked in your life. And he's living it now. but it, it dealt, but it dealt with something deep in his heart. He came out from under fear and chose to honor a nat, you know this man who was a, a father in business.? Right? Honor your father and mother that things might go well to you. It was like a precept. "If you do this, things will go well with you. So it wasn't just about money. It was about honor. And the, the, this story, or the inverse of it, can be repeated probably a thousand times in different ways in our lives. But God is saying, come on, we're not done. You're still here on earth. There's freedom to enter, into. There's blessing to enter into. There's deliverance that you can have. And so I want you to close your eyes. I'm not going to have people come forward If you can pray this, I want you to pray this with me. Father, I'm afraid. I'm tormented and I'm anxious. But I want to be free. Reveal the source of bondage in my life. Change me. Set me free. And show me how I must obey you. I choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I have a number of other testimonies like Ben's uh, because the Lord, you know, has turned some things around in our life. And we lived for 17 years below the poverty level without owning a house, Or uh, having an income and having to raise five kids and the Lord proved himself. Now, what was that journey for? That was to excavate me. It was just to change me. And I'm maybe a slow learner. It took 17 years before the conditions changed. (laughs) But God is faithful. God is faithful. So... If you haven't been waiting 17 years, be glad. <clears throat> Come on. Uh, but you're in a journey, and God knows what you need. And He's a good Father. Yes. He is a good, good Father.
3: You know, on the subject of God knows what you need, um, you know, Mark mentioned tithing. Let me tell you something tithing is not because God needs your money, God said, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. That's in the Bible. He said, I don't need anything from you. Trust me. So what's this tithing thing about? Well, the church needs it. Uh-uh. You need it. This is about your heart. This is about my heart. This is about getting this thing settled. Is this thing about holding on and counting it and trying to figure out if I can make it work and all, getting that thing settled, put to rest. That's what tithing is about. And it changes your heart. So let me challenge you right now because we have couples in the church who have, who have come to Gaylene and I over time and said, okay, okay, so this tithing thing, we're, we're not sure about it, but we're, we're, we're thinking maybe we'll give it a shot. And what we always say is, all right, You are going to experience some freedom that you have never experienced before. Is it going to take money out of your bank account? Well, yeah. This is the point. Are you going to have less than you did? Uh, Yeah. This is sort of the point. But are you going to be free to not be anxious about it? Oh, yeah. That's a whole new thing. That's a whole new thing. That's a thing that gets established in your heart. So, again... If I can just, you know, I know it wasn't, that's not the the subject of the sermon was more about the idea of the love of money, but let me tell you, that's what holds us back from being able to walk into the freedom that allows these things to simply be established in our lives, and we can walk in financial freedom, and I'm not talking about debt-free, but you'll be interested to know how much freedom you have from the love of things as well. And how much easier it is to be debt-free when you don't have to have things that you're holding on to either. So there's a bunch of stuff that gets established in our lives. And it starts with that simple, faithful decision to just, to just establish that in our lives. So.
0: Yeah, so if you're visiting with us today... We actually don't talk about money that much, (laughs) honestly. We should probably talk about money more. You know, one of the things, I I, when I look at the U.S. church, if if you're a minister, if you travel and speak in in churches, American churches is where you want to go because they're much freer around money than we are. And I'm wondering if that isn't a reason why they have the biggest economy in the world. They are the most generous people In the world, as a people, and I believe you know we think, oh yeah, those faith preachers, blah blah. You know what? There's a reason why they're prospering, and uh, and in Canada, you know, it's almost the death knell of your ministry to spend it to talk about money too much. Uh, We need to change that that culture in in Canada. We need to break through that because it's strangling us as individuals, families, and the economy. And our ministries, and our churches, and our and our 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 future. So um, it doesn't mean I'm going to spend the next 20 weeks doing a series on how God can bless you, but He can. So Chris is going to come and close us off today. Bless you. Why don't we stand up? And let's just pray. But Father, thank you so much
3: that uh, we can just come before you today. And you love us so much that uh, you correct us. Uh, You you sometimes just hug us. You do all these things, God. And, God, we just welcome it. And we understand that because as parents, we have to do the same things. And, Father, ultimately, we just want to be free in you. And we want to do that which you would want us to do. And so just teach us. And today we say we are willing vessels to listen to you and your Holy Spirit. And, Father, we will apply our faith as you speak to us in Jesus' name, God. And so bless each one as they leave now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed.